1: So what is the worst scandal in Major League Baseball? And what changes could the Rays deploy to make it harder for the next round of cheaters? And which Buccaneer made the most improvement last season? LSU scored 42 points versus Clemson's defense. Was Clemson overrated or LSU just that good? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. All right, we're joined now by Mike Henry, the publicity assistant at Tampa Bay Downs, a longtime friend of mine, former Tampa Tribune reporter as well. Hey, Mike, we got some exciting things going on at Tampa Bay Downs this weekend, starting with the Skyway Festival Day. Tell me about it.
0: Well, hello, Rick. Uh, we are expecting a pretty spectacular day of racing Saturday. We're going to have three stakes races worth a combined $300,000 in purse money. And a couple of them are three-year-old races, so it's a chance for horses that just turned three to get out and uh, show that they have the goods to continue on this year on to bigger and better things. Uh, the stakes races involved are the 20th edition of the $125,000 Pasco Stakes for three-year-old Colts and geldings, the 36th running of the Gasparilla Stakes for three-year-old Phillies, also worth $125,000, and the 36th running of the $50,000 Wayward Last State, which is for older fillies and mares. All points to a great day of racing.
1: Yeah, the weather's supposed to be great. It should be exciting. thoroughbred racing there at Tampa Bay Downs. You also have an exciting event coming up uh, called College Day uh, with a chance for some college and high school students to win scholarships.
0: Well, this is the second year we're doing our College Day promotion, and uh, the beauty of it is that it's open to all college students uh, junior, sophomore, and freshman students, as well as high school seniors who are planning to enroll in college. Uh, the way it works is that on Saturday, they'll come to the track and fill out an entry form. Uh, we will then select, uh, at random, 25 finalists who will be asked to submit an essay uh, discussing ways that they feel market, uh, horse racing can be marketed to a new generation of fans and the purpose of the contest is to try to get new ideas for marketing and to get younger people involved. Uh, The top five essays will be chosen, and those five will all win $2,000 scholarships.
1: Well, that's exciting, and and what a great partner that Tampa Bay Downs has been for the community in, in helping students, of course, both college and high school students. Hey, Mike, there's a lot of thoroughbred racing. That's what Tampa Bay Downs is known for. You mentioned the stakes racing. Of course, uh, there is thoroughbred racing four days a week, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The gates open at 11 a.m. post-time at 1225. But there's also other things to do at Tampa Bay Downs as well, right?
0: Well, there are a lot of things to do here. Uh, Our Silks Poker Room has no-limits play and tournament action seven days a week. And then our uh, golf facility Uh, The Downs Scalp facility is open every day as well, and I'm looking out the window right now at it, and there's a lot of people lined up hitting balls. So uh, (laughs) that's why we call it the multi-entertainment destination. We think there's something for everybody.
1: And you can call Tampa Bay Downs at 813-855-4401. All right, before we get started with your questions, uh, some news that we can discuss a little bit since we've last talked on the podcast. The Red Sox and Alex Cora mutually agreed to part ways their manager of course that was uh, caught up in the the web of the Houston Astros as their bench coach uh, during this incident replay uh, or I guess not replay actually it was it was a videotape stealing of the signs and they're relaying it to their hitters so he steps down as manager of the Red Sox I don't know that this is the end of it Steve I mean I still think that uh, there could be uh, you know more information coming out about whether he brought this technique to the Red Sox as well and whether the ownership there will be, uh, you know, punished much the way the Houston Astros were.
2: Well, I, I, you know, look, the Red Sox are now under investigation for the 2018 World Series and, and using technology to cheat as well as steal signs. So it certainly looks like he is uh, guilty in both cases. Uh, yeah. We'll wait to, for baseball's investigation to know for sure in Boston. But um, I, I think Boston just, you know, look, after what um, the owner of the Astros did by firing Hinch and now. It mm-hmm. had to come, and and you know, obviously, Hein Bloom's a new GM in Boston, so you're not going to fire a GM up there. Uh, right. Dave Dombrowski was already let go last year, so
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, for really for Hein Bloom, it's kind of a fresh start at this point.
1: Yeah, well, I know they thought a lot of Cora, but you know, it shouldn't be too hard to find a Red Sox manager. And in some ways, you know, for Hein Bloom, it's kind of nice to be able to start with your own guy, right? He'll have a chance to go out and hire his guy and. Wouldn't surprise me if he had some raised ties. I mean, I don't know who's available at this point, but um, that that might not be a bad thing. Obviously, they have a good ball club, and, and they're going to be in contention, but it'll be interesting to see if there's going to be more repercussions uh, applied to the Red Sox. I still, I'm getting a lot, you know, we'll discuss this. Uh, I'm sure there are questions about this in our podcast on the mailbag, but it is interesting that, uh, you know, whether or not baseball went far enough. I think that's going to be sort of, what everybody's talking about. And and I'm just of a firm believer they did not. I I don't know, you know, I know they probably had to have some immunity with the players in order to find out the information and so maybe that's why uh, you know, they didn't hammer them individually, uh, or collectively or whatnot. Um but, you know, I, I'm still getting lots of people, you know, wondering whether they should vacate the World Series title. I mean, you're not gonna give it to the Dodgers obviously, but you could vacate it. You could make uh, make it so that the Astros can't claim that as theirs, um, you know. And, and and for me, I mean, I I still don't know why they didn't consider a postseason ban because because that would then that would hurt ownership. And I, I just don't think the five million dollars and serving up a manager and a GM on the hot coals and forfeiting some draft picks, which you can make up for in free agency, is necessarily enough punishment for the organization. But
2: well, I wonder I guess too.
1: Time, I mean, time will tell. A postseason ban would punish the
2: players as well. It would. That's good And point would the two. union fight that? They probably would. They probably and, and would. And collectively, bargaining-wise, could they even do that? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. But if you had a postseason ban, every one of those Astros players under contract are going
1: are to file an appeal or, or grievance, know, a yeah, grievance something. with the union. Well, you know what I'm waiting for is for somebody to file a grievance uh, over their arbitration being affected by hitters guessing what they're throwing. You know, and their ERAs being uh, mm-hmm. artificially uh, enhanced. Or and how about so how about the Dodgers
2: arbit- losing two World Series to both these teams? Yeah,
1: yeah. How about that? Yeah. So you know, th- there's probably a lot of incentive bonuses that weren't paid out to managers and maybe even players, right? That didn't win World Series. I mean, I don't, I don't know what these contracts how you know how incentivized they are, but I, I do know that when players go to arbitration, they look hard at their numbers to compare them to other players, and if um. Getting lit up by the Houston Astros because they're stealing signs electronically, and then relaying them to their hitters. I'm a little, I'm a little ticked off. You cost me some money and my legacy, you know, because I pitched against you in the World Series, and so now my postseason record is different. So there's a lot of, you know, sort of damages um, that this has caused to players and, and of course, to baseball in particular. But um, yeah, it's just it's such a, such a terrible episode, and we'll. We'll talk more about it. I know we got some questions about um, about the scandals and things, but um, yeah, so now Alex Corey is gone, and the Red Sox need a manager, and we'll find out if uh, if there are maybe even more teams. Who knows if, if more teams were involved in this or not. The other big news uh, of the day yesterday uh, after our podcast is that Luke Keekley the outstanding middle linebacker for the Carolina Panthers, uh, surprised everybody by announcing his own retirement, and... You know he played eight seasons, which uh, uh, you know certainly you, you thought he was capable of playing a lot more to high level, which he's always played, and um, you know just a guy that almost as as a rookie, you know he he managed to win rookie of the year, and then was I think the next year maybe defensive player of the year or something like that. I mean he was that talented, um, a guy that could diagnose plays. The thing I remember is how offensive coaches would always talk about, um, in particular, uh, guys like Lovey Smith and. um Bruce Arians and others talked about how Keekley would recognize formations and call out the plays that you were running. It had to be disconcerting for an offense and for a for a quarterback when, you know, you're at the line of scrimmage and he's actually calling, telling his his communicating to his other players what you're running. Um, he was a film junkie and he was a guy that, you know, not the biggest guy in the world, but man, he'd come downhill and he'd hit you. Now, unfortunately, if you watch his you know, his announcement, he gets to a point where he talks about how he wants to continue playing. This is not a willful type thing. He, he, he loves football. That's all he's known. He he loves playing football more than anything else he could ever do. Um, but he, he breaks, he gets a little emotional and says, you know, I simply, you know, can't play fast and, 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 and hard the way I need to play. And we know that he has a history of concussions and it would be, uh, may be presumptuous to to jump straight to that conclusion but i think it's hard not to consider that this is a health related decision um and um you know that that if if you're unable to play there must be a physical component to this um because mentally he wants he wants for all the world to continue and he talked about how agonizing it was to come to this conclusion but um you know he's a guy that um that's had those concussions and I think you know you're going to see more and more players, Steve. I believe um, take you know as <laughs> as uh, you know Marshawn Lynch mentioned the other day, take care of your mentals. You know, mm-hmm. take care of your mentals and your chicken, and and they're making a lot of chicken these days. You well, know? I, I believe Keekly
2: uh, he played eight years. I believe he made around sixty million dollars.
1: Yeah, so they're making plenty of chicken, mm-hmm. and now and now it comes down to taking care of the mentals. And, and I think you're going to see more and more players have shorter careers, even great players. And we've, we've seen that, right? I mean, um, Andrew Luck, you know, walked away, got tired of the the physicality of having to come rehab from shoulders and different things that he was dealing with. Um, you know, Patrick Willis going even further back has very, very similar numbers, almost identical to Luke Keekley, And he walked away from the game after eight seasons. So uh, this is gonna be more and more the norm. Uh not like Larry Fitzgerald who just re signed for another season with the Arizona Cardinals. I think you're gonna see guys leaving the game, you know, uh particularly the ones that have made money sooner and sooner because it is, is a real threat to your livelihood and to your mm-hmm. and, and just to your being um with the punishment that these guys take. Well I think
2: you're you're seeing a lot more college players leave early too of Yes. You know, if I can start making that money a year earlier. Mm-hmm. particularly in certain positions like running back yes. or, or that, you know, where you take a punishment, the earlier you could start making your money, the earlier you can retire. That's correct. And, and you know, That's save correct. that health, save your mentals or your chicken.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all, all works together. And, you know, I don't know what keekley will do. He'll be good at it. He He's a, a very well-spoken guy. He could do broadcasting. He could be a coach. Um, he could work in a front office. I think he'll do something in football. Because he just has so much passion for the game. And he'd be a hell of a coach if he decided to go that route. Imagine so, him as a defensive seen, coordinator. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's already – I mean, that's what he was on the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was – you know, you talk about the coach on the field, but he was the literal coach on the field that could take all that classroom, all that film study, and and in real time, you know, be dissecting plays before their run. I mean, what an advantage. Just, just put him on the sideline in your defensive player's headset. Exactly. Put him on the mic that's with his, it absolutely no he he could certainly do a different perspective but he could certainly do it so i expect we'll hear from him. but that's a big blow too to carolina and you know i mean the same guy, the same time that luke keekley entered the league so did levante david and those two um you know the the bucks could have gone either way um and i i just think that uh you know david has had a career that's sort of been a little overshadowed predominantly because he was an outside linebacker and in terms of Pro Bowls, where Keekley went to a you know a, a ton of these Pro Bowls, uh, Levante I think went to one, and the reason is that the voting was skewed. You know they considered three four defensive ends as outside linebackers. That's like saying Jason Pierre Paul, you know, is uh, or Shaq Barrett against you know Levante David. Well, they don't play the same position. They're not really, even though he's denoted as an outside linebacker, he's really a pass rusher. He's an edge rusher, and so. They didn't have that category in the Pro Bowl. So for years and years and years, you know, there'd be a bunch of guys with, you know, 15, 16 sacks that would knock Levante David out of the Pro Bowl simply because they they didn't play the same position. So I think it's been unfair to Levante when his career is over. But if you look at their numbers, his numbers are very similar to Keekly's. Um, I think he's maybe 80-something tackles shy. Both of them have over 1,000 tackles in their career. And, um, you know, so, you know, that... That's going to take a bite out of the Carolina Panthers. I mean, I know they have a whole new, you know, regime with Matt Rule, and they've got to sign on the quarterback, and there's a lot of transition going on in Carolina. Um, but that's a tough piece to lose. Uh, and and you've seen the tributes on Twitter and other places, the respect that he had uh, among his peers from, from so many competitors and teams, and not just his teammates but guys around the league. So, uh, tough announcement there, but it's uh, something you might want to uh, check out on Twitter. Uh, on social media, on Twitter, et cetera. All right, so we got plenty of questions. Let's uh, get to it. All right, we'll start back with the uh, the baseball
2: news of the week. And Mike asks, are you surprised that none of the Astros players were suspended? And do you think the organization should keep their 2017 championship banner up?
1: Well, I mean, I think that baseball could have made them vacate that title. And, you know, like I said earlier, that's that doesn't mean that the Dodgers get it or some other team gets it. But you could certainly erase – um, from the history books and their stadium, um, any mention of the fact that they won that World Series because we know now they cheated to win the World Series, and I, there's just no way around that. You know, it's not as if you could go back and say, "Well, you know, um, the other team was stealing signs too." Like this is not the steroid era where you can say, "You know, the only one team used steroids and no one on the other team did." I mean, it's not that sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, I I think they. I think they could vacate it, and they didn't. Uh, I don't think any professional sports league has done that. We've seen it in colleges uh, with, with certain awards. I mean, you know, they didn't give the Heisman Trophy to Vince Young when Reggie Bush had it taken away from him, right? Um, but he vacated the Heisman Trophy that year. So, you know, for all of history, he's not in possession of it, and there's no Heisman Trophy winner for, for the year that Reggie Bush won it. Um but I, I don't remember anything like that happening in the NHL or NBA or anywhere else. So um, it's not it's not going to happen here. It seems like college is as, the only one that does that. Yeah, college does it. Yes, colleges do, and and they also have postseason bans. Colleges are prone to do that very often when they when they have teams that are uh, you know found to be uh, ineligible with ineligible players or what have you. Um, you know, it's just short of the death penalty. Where well, you can't and they've play had at that all. before too. With yeah, SMU. they've actually. Yeah, they've actually taken you know a program off the field where they couldn't play at all. But um, I'm not advocating that. I, I think they could have had a postseason ban, which would then uh, affect the players, like we mentioned earlier. That might be something that'd be difficult to do because of their bonuses and players' union would rail against it. But I do think players should have been should have been held accountable. And I I don't know, you know, again, um, I think baseball needed the information, and I think that they sort of you know blanket. Uh, gave immunity to these guys so that they could find out uh, exactly how widespread it was and what the mechanisms were and try to prevent it in the future um, but I'm sorry man I'm always going to look at Jose Altuve different I'm always going to look at those guys and I think you know it'll be something they'll have to reckon with when when they come up for Hall of Fame boating or or any other things like that I think you know it, it's not like I said it's not this is not necessarily the steroid type you know, thing where baseball looked the other way and everybody was doing it. We don't know how widespread it was. It might be more widespread than just one or two teams for sure. Um, but when you look at the home and away batting averages of some of those players, it's it's telling to me. And you know, the best thing the Astros can do is go out and start about twenty and five or twenty five and seven this year. And at that point people will say, well, they were they' you know they're not either well they'll say one of two things either they found a new way to cheat or uh they were pretty damn good anyway, and it really you know really wasn't that big of a deal, but let them go the other way, let them struggle, you know, um let some of those players have career horrible years at the plate, and then people will be really riled up and say, you know aha um you know they they needed that crutch that's the reason why they were so successful so um but I I don't, I don't understand why players weren't held more accountable. Um, you know, like I said, just to, and for that matter, the ownership. You know, the ownership. It should start with them, and you know, firing a couple guys and paying five million dollars, even if that's the the most they can find them, just doesn't seem to be enough. But they'll uh, they'll wear they'll wear the scarlet letter. They'll have the stain of that, you know, the, the Astros or the Asterix, Asterix now, the Houston Asterix, that, that, that's going to be played. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they get, you know, players are, are booed in other stadiums. I mean, this is going to be a thing for a while. And, um, and like I said, we still don't know how widespread it was. We don't know, you know, if the Red Sox, you know, deployed similar tactics during their World Series win. Well, Carl
2: asked, in your opinion, what is the worst scandal of baseball? Is it the Black Sox? Pete Rose steroid era, video cheating, segregation of black players.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know the segregation of black players. You know, sort of um, mirrored what the you know society was, and it was egregious, obviously. And and you know, credit to Jackie Robinson for for breaking you know him him breaking the color barrier, and uh, it was an embarrassing time in our nation. So I, I don't know that it's it was unique to baseball. There were a lot of industries in and in society in general, um, you know, uh, was segregated. So that's part of our history uh, in this country. Uh, the Black Sox scandal was, you know, gambling uh, on a World Series, um, especially to lose it, <laughs> uh, is, is probably is probably as bad as anything could be, uh, I think. Um, you know, we didn't live in the early 1900s, so I don't really – have anything to compare it to for me the worst thing that's happened to baseball in my lifetime was the steroid era because baseball was complicit and we talked about this you and i steve just the other night where uh these owners were well aware of uh what was going on i mean everybody wire had ando or whatever it was called andro uh in his locker and everybody knew what was going on you could see the inflated uh you know, bodies and, and uh, hat sizes for Barry Bonds. I mean, you, you know, they knew it was happening and and they were benefiting from it. They were making uh, millions of dollars. I mean, you know, the in some ways the home run race was with Aguirre and Sosa uh, at that time, they said saved baseball. So, um, you know, they were so complicit in that that I think that's the worst scandal because there wasn't anybody... You know, really sounding the alarms the way they should have, and then of course, um, you know, it, it it until they went to Washington, it was you know they were threatened with their antitrust, losing that. Um, then all of a sudden they got religion and said, "Oh, this is this is horrible for baseball. Let's get it out of our game." So to me, that's the worst one because you know baseball is a a, a sport that um, probably reveres its records and its numbers more than any other sport, and. There's no way to sort of quantify how much a guy benefited um, his career totals. You know, guys like we've talked about, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, and what you do with them, what you do with that era, and not knowing who was on it and who was not using it. Um, so to me, that's, that's been the worst of my lifetime, anyway. Now I don't. I, see, I would say I, I might taste the video cheating.
2: And yeah. you know, the only okay. reason is because everyone knew the steroid era was happening. Maybe it wasn't reported, but everybody in baseball knew it. That's what's so horrible about it. Everybody knew it, and everybody basically said it's okay.
1: We're making a lot of money off this. But see, that's what bothers me about it. Is that is that baseball itself was complicit? Like it wasn't just like you had one manager betting uh, Pete Rose, you know? Right, you manager Mm -hmm. betting on his own team. How Mm -hmm. awful is that? Everybody in baseball knew about it, and and to me, that's the biggest stain on the game because they were part of it. Well, but
2: and and many were doing it too. I mean, so yes. as, as you know, you talked about earlier is it's not like one team had the advantage over the other because one was doing it. One no, wasn't. you're right. And, and granted, I don't know how many was and it's not saying everybody right. was, but you're right about that.
1: Yeah. Competitively, they're probably it was probably level. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was probably some on every team Yeah, comparing
2: record wise. It wasn't. But competing against other teams is look, everyone knew that if you want to take steroids, you're not going to you get can. busted because we're not doing baseball's not doing a thing about it. That's correct. Everyone knew that. Now, it was your choice whether you wanted to do it or not. Some players did. Some didn't. Some we know about. Some we don't. Yeah. But, you you know, to me, I mean, it it affected the game absolutely, but I don't know if there was a competitive disadvantage.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, this video cheating is is a competitive disadvantage from what the Astros have done and and what the Red Sox are alleged to have done, and, and maybe others will find out, but... I mean, that is a distinct advantage that you're trying to gain that's explicitly been, you know, come down from the commissioner's
1: office. You're not allowed to do, and they still did it. And an advantage to the point where not only did they benefit it, they benefited to the point of winning the damn World Series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, so they took this thing all the way to the top, right?
2: Yeah. And, and so, you yeah. know, you still wonder, and, and, you know, I saw you answer a tweet this morning. Was Glasnow tipping his pitches, or were the Astros cheating? And as you said, it might be both.
1: Might be a I mean, both. we know yeah. Glasnow
2: was tipping his pitches. It was pretty obvious once – if someone yes. told you, look at his arm position. It was obvious. Curveball, fastball. His arms were completely different positions. It was pretty easy to figure out. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean the Astros weren't cheating as well. And, and, They're not you know, exclusive. Yeah. Game five you lost because Glasnow tipped his pitches. But game one and two, you wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, Because also well, at the and, Trop, the Rays dominated the Astros. Now some of Brett, that's home and, field and, some of that's you know there's a lot of things that go into it but
1: as I recall too Glasnow did not throw a complete game that day no well no I mean so he there was, were other yeah, there were other guys that came in the game the game wasn't over just because their first six guys reached mm-hmm. you know I mean they they if they were cheating they continued to cheat no matter who the Rays brought in after him right so but yeah, they didn't hit they didn't hit him very hard
2: after that though but the Rays just didn't score yeah. enough offense in that game five so Right, right. When they couldn't overcome that deficit, they got early from Glass. Now, so, mm-hmm. so. But Mike asks, "What changes could teams like the Rays deploy to make it harder for the next round of cheaters?"
1: I have to give this some real thought. Um, I not, I don't know what the Rays can do per se. Uh, I mean, I guess you could somehow assign somebody to 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 sort of monitor as best you can that sort of thing or maybe we'll see um, like football teams you know they'll
2: be in the dugout they'll be holding up four different cards of you know a logo (laughs) of a different you know sports franchise a panda bear uh this and and you have about three different players in in different color jerseys giving different signs and you know only the the batter or the pitcher knows which one's the real one yeah maybe we'll start seeing that in
1: baseball maybe Uh, I, you know, we, we see, we see a lot of, you know, pitchers stepping back and, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and I think you said this the other night too, Steve, which is a great point. I mean, they want to speed up the game, but now, Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how much antenna, this is a question that lends itself to this. How much effort will teams spend Mm -hmm. or opposing pitchers? Like, you know, I'm a pitcher on the mound and I'm playing the Astros or the Red Sox, or I'm playing anybody that I suspect might be cheating. I'm going to be listening for every whistle Mm Mm-hmm every bang, every, every rhythmic clap, everything I can think of, and then I'm going to start pointing at the dugout, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And, and so it's really going to be interesting to see, you know, sort of how, how teams do go about combating this. And certainly, you know, well, there, changing your signs is one way. There's but. some
2: talk of do you put a communication system between the pitcher and the catcher? Where the pitcher well, can, can pitcher, you know, the the catcher has yeah, an earpiece in essentially, slider, from, you know, yeah. and he just puts his glove over his mouth and says, Fastball. Well, so fastball and, and outside. And, and you know, yeah, there's no sign. No, now, your infielders don't know what the sign is, and
1: they usually like to know that, too. Well, that's the thing. I was going to say, like, you need to communicate that really to everybody. And so, how many transmit, like, football does yeah. it. And, yeah, you well, know, this was the yeah, thing. Yeah, just the know, quarterback or just the one defensive player. Just the quarterback. And, and I've always wondered, like, how come somebody can't pick that off electronically? How can I can't find the frequency to monitor that right in a stadium? But apparently it works. Apparently, as far as we know anyway, nobody has intercepted those from opposing teams. And um, it's, you know, the helmet communicator is, is the thing. So, yeah, I mean, again, technology is going to advance itself to where it, it might actually solve some of these problems as much as it's caused them. Um, but I, I don't know how that would go. I don't know if you could... You know, I mean, I always thought it was funny. And, you know, this is the thing, right? When they go to the mound, everybody covers their mouth with their glove because they think everyone else is such a great lip reader that they can tell exactly what they're talking about and which pitch they're going to throw next. Didn't you find that to be interesting when they're calling, when they're up there in a huddle around the mound and the guy's saying, hey, Joe, throw strikes or hey, mm-hmm. let's work them this way or that way that they're – that they think there's a bunch of there is are are there lip readers employed by these teams? You know, if it can give you really, them a competitive advantage, they sure would. But they must think that, right? Mm-hmm. Why are you covering your mouth with your glove when you're talking to the pitcher who's, or the pitching coach who's, right. you know, three, 5 inches away from you? Um but that would because,
2: be but but it's also that would be a legal way to steal yes. a sign or whatever else because yes. as long as you're not using some special camera that you're zoomed in or you know with a microphone well, the or something TV but, broadcast I mean, would help but, yeah, right but i, I mean, mean the tv usually shows them on the mound and right you know or That's you, what can, I mean. you could be standing on first base you know the hitter on first base and you know mm-hmm. look you know being able to see the pitcher say i mean you read coaches lips all the time on tv they don't like yes. a call you can definitively read what they're saying well because i swear a
1: lot and i know exactly what they're saying <laughs> by did you know that if you mouth the words love you much it sounds exactly like sob did you know that i don't know time. that yeah, so you gotta be careful with lip reading. So in other words, when we think they're calling an official an sob, they're actually saying "love you much." <laughs> Try it one time. <laughs> Say, look, stand in front of a mirror and mouth the words. It looks a lot like sob. I'm just saying. So you can be wrong. Wow. Yeah, but then I we don't know that you
2: know. But the problem is, everyone covers their mouths. We don't get those great uh, lip reading I videos know. that they do. That's true. Usually it's the NFL they they do it on you know players and coaches right.
1: and that and they're hilarious. Right. I have no trouble reading the NFL uh, coaches though on the sidelines. Like last the last uh, what was it the divisional playoffs? Mm-hmm. There were some really good ones. Yes, <laughs> there was some great ones, man. Those guys. I, I'm surprised. Oh, I'm surprised. I really am surprised at times. I I truly mean this that the side judges that are next to these coaches that they don't just throw the flag up in the air when they're like that's enough. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, they, I don't know really where the line is. Like, if you bring in relatives to your profanity, is that the line? You know, or mothers? Like, what? what is, it seems as if they can say almost anything. I think if you're, and, I
2: think for the most part, because, and I've been around this in college basketball a lot where you can get really close. Yeah. And, you know, I, I worked with Bob Huggins for years. And, you know, he, there you go. he, he had was a few all technicals. over the officials. Absolutely. Usually the line is. You can be upset at calls. You can be upset at non-calls. It's when you start insulting them or you know, you know, you're having a bad day. Why don't you get glasses? You know, you start doing those kind of things.
1: Okay. You know, if you're
2: going, come on, what was that call? You know, he didn't. He didn't foul. He didn't. You know, usually more demonstrative, but yeah, um, yeah. You know, and granted. In, in basketball, it's it's you have a probably a better relationship than even a football, but they kind of know each other too. So you know, a, a lot mm-hmm. of it is built up over time. True, um, and you know, you know where the line is with each official. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. believe me, when when it came to the Bearcats basketball, I mean, you know, Chuck Mayshock, who was the uh, assistant for Huggins for years and was one of Huggins' coaches when Huggins was a player. And he did the the radio broadcast. We talked about him a week or two ago when he passed away. But, yeah. you know, going in the game, he's like, oh, it's going to be a bad night. Look, this official, this. I mean, you know, he goes, Huggins is going to have a Phil short does. leash. He, he would know already. He already knew that, that... Huggins was going to have a short leash. Huggins might get thrown out of this game. This, I mean, you know, you just knew it based on who the officials were.
1: You know, Phil Esposito is always talking about the uh, – he knows he knows the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the officials, all the referees, or what, what do you call them in, in um, hockey. Yeah, the <laughs> linesmen and the referees. The linesmen and the referees. And he'll say, oh, this guy, you know. And he, he, he yeah, knows Francois who Saint Laurent are. never gave us a yeah. call.
2: Never gives the Lightning a call. Never. <laughs> That's right. He knows. Especially so. if you're playing Montreal. Oh, you'll get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you got to study those officials. You get nothing and you'll like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's those, those lines. It varies from an official. I mean, you know. But most of the time, it's if you're going to complain about what happened on the field and, and why yeah. this call and why you think it was wrong, you make it they personal, pretty much let yeah. it go. But you start going, yeah. you know, you know, did you get enough sleep last night? Or, you know, you start ripping them, whatever.
1: Yeah. Gotcha.
2: You know, if you start calling them names, probably. Um, but it depends on the official, probably. I mean, you know, they kind of, they know each other most of the time. So
1: Yeah.
0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. All
2: right, we got some football questions now, and UK Bucks asks Rick, out of the eight teams who appeared in wildcard rounds and the eight teams who then appeared in the divisional round, how many of those teams had two interceptions or more in the game? The answer is one out of 16. So does this not further highlight the issue with Winston's
1: multiple INTs? Uh, Well, it does. I mean, I think turnovers in general. You know, the Baltimore Ravens, I think, had four, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and we saw a bunch of turnovers, you know, in the AFC as well. Yeah, I, I mean, it does. And, and whether it's interceptions or turnovers, when you get to that level, when you get to the playoff level, you're playing teams – that are good, right? They, you, you're not one of the 12 entering the playoffs unless you're a, a very good team. And when you make mistakes, you know the NFL is as much, you know, as many games are, are lost as there are won, right? By, by mistakes, so you you make mistakes. You, you know, we heard it last year, Bruce Arians saying, you know, Bucks beating Bucks. I mean, he felt like even at the end of the year, we asked him what will be different next season. He says we'll have a team that's not going to beat itself, and and that's just. That's just part of football, and sometimes guys make good plays and get the ball out, and other times, uh, more often than not, it's it's just you know a player making making a mistake and putting the ball in, in, in harm's way or fumbling or whatever. Um, but that's what happens. You know, those teams that are in the playoffs, they typically don't get there if they're if they're careless with the football. So, am I surprised that only one of the you know, of the 16 games, there was a game with two interceptions. No, because you just you don't get there without taking care of the ball. And and we've seen whether it's Ryan Tannehill. I mean, name the quarterbacks: Russell Wilson. I mean, if you look at the touchdown interception ratio to these guys, it's incredible, right? Um, <clears throat> it's no accident they handle the ball every play and they they, they will themselves. Aaron Rodgers, I think, um, is has the greatest you know touchdown interception ratio in the history of the league. Of the NFL, I mean, he just almost never turns it over with an interception. So that's that's exactly it. I mean, as they say, you know, the game it's so important. You know, the football is so important. They named the game after it, and um, I, I think that it's it's the reason why a big reason why the Bucks haven't won or didn't win more games last year. And I would be curious what would happen if they did get in the postseason. Because I assure you this that if they turn the ball over. Uh, they would lose because, you know, just like hockey, you know, every mistake you make, it seems like it ends up in the back of the net. Well, that, that's what playoff football is. Every mistake you make, it ends up on the scoreboard, either, you know, best-case scenario, field goal and or a touchdown. So um, that is something that Jameis will uh, have to get better at or his team will not be in the postseason. And if he does get there when the, when the stakes are really high uh, and every, every mistake is magnified – you wonder how far he could take a team because, um, you know, you, you have to play pretty much error-free football at that point. So uh, that's going to affect his career and, and, until he can get rid of it.
2: Les asked, since three of the final four teams are very good defensively, do you think that the Bucks should spend more money on that side of the ball this offseason? Watching the 49ers, I really want Shaq and JPP back. The pass rush is a must in 2020, especially in
1: this division. Well, they're going to have to. I think uh, that's where most of the money will be spent. And that's because the reason they're spending money on it now um, is because they didn't draft forever on that side of the ball. And so when you don't draft and develop players, you end up having spent a lot of money on free agents. And you you make up for your mistakes in the draft that way. So, uh, you know, while John Lynch, when he went into San Francisco, built that football team um, with a bunch of, you know, high draft picks, first-round picks on their defensive line. Um, that's why those guys are elite. You know, he invested resources in terms of draft picks and, and build them the right way. Um, the Bucks, with the exception of Vea, who has, I think, become a pretty good player, um, largely were unable to draft and develop guys. Uh, you know, I mean, up, up until last year, Gerald McCoy was still one of their top defensive linemen. So they've had to go out in the draft, in free agency, or go outside the draft in free agency, or claim guys off waivers like Carl Nassib, uh, and try to make up for um, simply not choosing defensive linemen over the past several years. And so uh, that's why JPP is here. But you pay a huge amount of money for those guys, and, and you know, good for them—they got Shaq Barrett one year, four million dollars, and he led the freaking NFL in sacks with nineteen and a half. The bad news is they didn't know he was that good, or they assigned him to a two or three year contract, and now they're going to have to pay some eighteen to twenty million dollars a year for this guy, um, or somewhere between sixteen and nineteen million a year, anyway. Uh, you know, so in JPP, same thing. He was making twelve and a half, thirteen million. Um, you know, they tore up his contract because of his cervical uh, injury to his neck, uh, but he came in and he played ten games and had eight and a half sacks. Now, you know, the question is you know what what is a guy that's now 31 years old with the the hand, you know, the hand injury, the the neck injury, the knee injury that prevents him from practicing the last half of the year, you know, how much is he worth? How much is Carl Nassib worth? Though so they're going to have to uh to spend a lot of money on defense because they simply don't have defensive linemen outside of Vita Vea. I mean, Bo Allen's not not going to be back. He's a free agent. So, yeah, I would say that Money, the money they spend, and they have some $94 million on the salary cap with the exception of the quarterback position, most if not all of it will be spent on defense.
2: Steve asks, you're the GM of the Bucks, and you only have enough money to franchise one player and let the other walk. You have to choose between Jameis Winston and Shaq Barrett. Who do you sign and who do you let walk?
1: Well, first of all, congratulations to me. I didn't know I was the GM of the Bucks, and since I am, uh, I'm going to enjoy my lifestyle for a while and not tell you what the hell I'm going to do. No, uh, I I have wrestled with this question, and I don't. You know, first of all, it's not a binary choice, right? I mean, the goal would be to try to sign one of them, <laughs> and and. You know, it'd be nice if you could do it with the quarterback, but I think it's a little harder calculus, to be honest with you. I think within some range you could probably know where Shaq Barrett's deal is going to come in. Now, Shaq Barrett may disagree, and that's the trick, right? you got to have two people that agree on his value. Um, and, and, and his value not just to the rest of the NFL, but to your team. Um, but there is something to be said for not having to move your family. There's something to be said for Shaq Barrett knowing that he – Um, you know, was very effective in this defensive scheme under Todd Bowles. Um, You know, the fact that he likes his teammates and they seem to play well off each other. Uh, All those things are sort of a home field advantage. Now, that doesn't mean you get a hometown discount necessarily, Um, but I do think that you have a a better chance maybe of reaching a a long-term extension with a Shaq Barrett because a couple things. One, you recognize – he deserves to be paid. He's earned his money. He went out there on a one-year make-it contract, and buddy, he made it. He made it so big, and you were the beneficiary of that to the tune of 19 and a half sacks. You can't deny the guys, you know, earned uh, earned earn the money. So you feel good about it, right? He's 27. He's not. He's not 31. So I mean, you know, he's got a lot left in the tank. He didn't play every down in Denver for those five years, um, and he wants to be great. So. All those things you feel good about. So you're, you're proud, you're happy to give guys like that um, the free agent contract. So I think I think you have a better chance of, of getting him done before free agency, and that's where I would put my attention. The franchise tag, I think, almost has to go on the quarterback if you want him back. And I wrote a column about this uh, in the Tampa Bay Times. You can read it on TampaBay.com. The word is on the street, as they say. Now, the Bucks have not actually began official talks with Joel Siegel, Jameis Winston's uh, agent. But it's been put out there by somebody, and they have done nothing to refute it, including respond to my emails about this very subject, which is uh, the, the belief is that Jameis Winston and his people, whoever those people are, whether that's his agent, uh, his dad, his representatives, I don't know, his friends, his wife, I don't know who the people are. But the word is that he expects to be paid, and he expects to be paid handsomely, and for multi years and guaranteed. Uh, you know, if you're Jameis Winston or you're in his camp, um, you're saying now is the time. You know, to get my generational money. I have played five years in this league. Um, you know, I played under the one-year uh, club option, which was not a poverty rate. I mean, you made twenty-one million dollars, right? But I'm done with my rookie contract, and I have just led the NFL in passing yardage, and I threw a team record that I expanded on my own record, 33 touchdowns. Oh, yeah, there was this thing about the 30 interceptions. But we can go back and look at the tape, and I can show you, you know, five or ten of them, whatever, that weren't on me, okay? First near you in the system. I can cut this thing up any way you want to. The bottom line is this. This is my chance, right? This is I play the game because I love it and because I'm passionate about it, Um, but I'm also a professional and, and I may only be a free agent one time in my life. And I, I'm confident that if I were on free agent in free agency at 26 years old, with all that I've accomplished, um, that there's going to be a team out there that's going to guarantee me 28 to $30 million. And that's sort of the number we're hearing. It's not, you know, I mean, the franchise tags 27, right? So why would you go below that? Um, so, you know. If if you're gonna guarantee Kirk Cousins 84 million dollars, then if I'm Jameis Winston at 26, he's 31, he hasn't won anything, he's been to one playoff game, won it, he's one in two, he's been in three, he's one and two in the playoffs. I've been to no playoff games, but that's because I I was drafted number one to to the worst team in the NFL. Then I'm gonna say, hey, pay me and pay me now. So. I don't think the Bucks are going to have an easy negotiation for multi-years. One, I don't know if they're committed to him for more than one year. I think they would be a part of me, if I was a GM, since you just made me GM, that would say, hey, am I sure he's not going to throw 25 next year? You know, am I that sure to give him a two- or three-year deal now? Or do I just, you know, franchise him, and he gives us the best chance to win as a starting quarterback, and he has to go out there and prove that he can – cut down on his interceptions, and we can win games and win a Super Bowl with him. And then if he does that, then I can either franchise him again or I can then work on a multi-year deal a year from now when I have more information about how he's going to perform uh, in this system in his second year, how much improvement does he make. So I guess that's a long way of saying I think that they're absolutely not going to let Shaq Barrett out of Tampa no matter what. But I also believe that if they if they plan on keeping Jameis based on what he wants and maybe what some of their reservations might be, that you'd almost have to use the franchise tag on the quarterback and not the edge rusher. Because the edge rusher, within a few million dollars uh, between friends, we can, we can probably come to an agreement on what his market value would be if he were in free agency. And we may be wrong, but ultimately, like I said, it's a – uh, it's between the player. The player has to agree to it. The team has to agree to it. But um, that's that's my thinking. That might what might occur. Uh, I think they would be very go very hard uh, because even if you go, let's say you you know get to a point where you can't reach an agreement with Jameis. Um, first of all, Jameis isn't going to be successful if they don't have a good defense, right? So whoever the quarterback is, you got to stop people. And the best part of their defense is what what Shaq Barrett did. And they get improved, and they number one against the run. And so I need Indominicon Sue. I need Jason Pierre Paul or Carl Nassif. I need those guys for any quarterback to be successful on my football team, um, especially Jameis. So, you know, it's, it's almost more important that you re sign Shaq Barrett right now. And then, regardless of the quarterback, I got to have a good defense. And then I can decide, well, if I can't, you know, if I don't want Jameis, I'll move on. Or. Uh, if we can't reach a long-term agreement that it works for both of us, then I'll franchise them. So, I, I think that's where we're leaning. If he comes back, is a franchise tag. That's just 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 the way I feel about it. And that's a. And again, I don't know what they're going to do. I think it is still undecided, and I think it is something that evolves and it's a living, breathing thing. And every day, they'll get more information about what who the free agents are actually going to be uh, at the quarterback position and who they think they can actually sign. Well, Gerald asked.
2: Has Jameis Winston's camp indicated that he would hold out if, if he was franchise tagged?
1: Not to my knowledge. They haven't indicated anything. Um they're they're simply uh, you know running deep, running silent. Um, again, I don't think there's been a discussion with the Bucks and uh and his representatives about, you know, whether he wants, doesn't want the franchise tag. Here's the thing there's reports about it, and we've all heard it, and the Bucks have heard it. And the Bucks are trying to figure out what teams, you know, is 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 there a big market out there for Jameis Winston? I mean, look, it only takes one, right? I mean, if San Diego or or somebody that, you know, moves on from Phillip Rivers after sixteen years says, you know what, we really we really like that quarterback in Tampa. We have a good defense, we think we can run the ball. You know what? I want Jameis Winston. He's twenty six. Let's pay that guy. And then then it's done, right? Um, on the other hand, I went through all the teams and it's hard to find, you know, a team where you go, aha, there is a team that would take. You know, the team that's the most likely, and seriously, when you look at their situation, the Carolina yep, Panthers. I was just going to say that. Might be the team that's the most likely fit for Jameis Winston. Um, they have a new owner, they have a new head coach in Matt Rule who has a seven year contract, so he ain't going anywhere. So they're going to want a young quarterback to start over with, right? Um, you know, they. they they have a decision to make with Cam Newton, but they can walk away from Cam Newton, who has been just injury after injury the last few few years. It only costs them two million dollars against their salary cap. It's not a big price to pay, and it gives them an extra, I don't know, twenty million dollars or you know thereabouts, eighteen million anyway, um, on you know to spend in free agency. So you lose a couple million, but you gain you gain the rest of it of his of his salary. That's not the portion that's not guaranteed. So, to me, um, of of the teams I looked at, I mean, Chicago's not going anywhere with Trubisky. Yeah, Miami has potentially could move on from Josh Rosen and Ryan Fitzpatrick, but they have a high draft pick. You know, that's the other thing. A lot of these teams that need quarterbacks, Cincinnati, uh, Miami, uh, you know, they're in position to draft one. So, I don't think he fits there with with the kind of money that uh, he's hoping to make. So, you know, that's the thing. There has to be a market for him. Um, whether there will be there's other free agents available i mean you know is tom brady going back to the new england patriots is drew Brees going to play another year for the saints well if he doesn't then maybe teddy bridgewater is off the market because they go hard and re-sign him so it's a it's a living moving thing and while the bucks may have met as, as a staff and there might be you know One guy wants him back, wants Jameis back. Another guy isn't so sure. One guy wants to move on. I mean, you know, you have varying opinions when you get a group of people together. um, But the only one that matters really is the ownership. And uh, they have to trust their coaches and their GM, you know, to address the position, whether it's with Jameis or somebody else. So I don't think we'll hear what their decision is until they make one. In other words... I think this is going to go all the way to free agency. I think you'll hear stories that they're moving on. I think you'll hear stories that they're trying to sign him to a big long-term deal. I think you'll hear that they may franchise him. And ultimately, once we get to free agency, we'll know whether he gets out there as a free agent uh, or they sign someone else when the free agent signing period starts. And that's going to be probably the only time we know for sure uh, what the 2020 quarterback position is going to look like here in Tampa.
2: Ellis asked, in the 2019 season, which Buccaneer player made the most improvement? Who was an underachiever, and who was the biggest surprise?
1: Well, the biggest surprise, I mean, I think we just talked about him, Shaq Barrett. Um, even Shaq Barrett was surprised what Shaq Barrett did. I mean, because, uh, you know, his goal was double digits, right? I mean, that's something that had only been done here once since 2005, and it was done a year earlier by JPP with 12 and a half sacks. So when he came in, Um, You know, he had had 14 career sacks. Listen to what I said now. 14 career sacks in five seasons with the Denver Broncos. Now, you know, he played behind DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller and, you know, uh, Chubb and those guys. So it was hard for him to get on the field. But to say that even he expected um, to have anything close to this, he's, he's been very adamant about it. No, I didn't see this coming. But he went out and got nine, nine in the first four games. Uh, so that put him in a pretty good place. And uh, what I liked about it is that he finished, you know, he finished so strong. So Shaq Barrett, I think was, uh, was a big surprise. Most improved, um, you know, it would be hard not to say a guy like Chris Godwin, who was a very, very good receiver and turned into be a pro bowl receiver, right? Mm-hmm. Led the team in catches, uh, over a thousand yards. You know, I think Bruce Arians saw that. I mean, had he stayed healthy the last three games? That he missed with a hamstring, you wonder what those numbers would have been. I think he would have been over fifteen hundred yards. I really do. Um, you might have had a couple fifteen hundred yard receivers with with uh, Mike Evans. Um, you know, the guy that I thought really got better in a big way was Vita Vea. I mm-hmm. thought Vita, Vita Vea was dominant at times, and and it's not a numbers position, right? It's not a not a position where you might necessarily have a lot of sacks or a lot of tackles. But if you watch the number of people mm-hmm. they had to commit to blocking and see the penetration that he got and the way they, I mean, they were number one against the run and that doesn't happen unless Vitave and Sue are, are are you know blocking up the middle of that field and, and keeping those linebackers clean. Um, so I think you know that that's a big part of it right there. All right, my underachiever uh, is no longer with the Tampa Bay Bucks because he underachieved so so much and that's Vernon Hargraves. I mean, there was so much expected of him. You know, they went to the man. Man-to-man coverage, uh, what he thrived in, and, and was a starter to begin the season. He made a big play, uh, certainly against Carolina, you know, with his stop of Christian McCaffrey that won the game on on fourth down. Uh, but then after that, you know, he just gave up too many big plays. And I think when they got rid of him, that team got better, and it got better because they were able to play Jamel Dean, uh, Carlton Davis. Of course, had a good year. Um, he w- he was very improved. He could be one of those most improved guys too that you could mention. And Sean Murphy Bunting got on the field, and when you look at where Sean Murphy Bunting was, sort of a deer in the headlights uh, in that first preseason game at Pittsburgh to what he became uh, later in the year, uh, I think he led the team with three interceptions, and you had the big, uh, you know, pick six in Detroit, and, you know, pointing to his his, his uh, family and friends there in Michigan in the end zone, I mean, that was a that was a picture of improvement there, but Hargraves, uh, you know, reason why he's not here anymore, he underachieved, and uh, I would say that he was probably the biggest disappointment. All right, the Super Bowl is coming up, and Buck North asked, Rick, what's your most memorable
2: Super Bowl that you've covered, and which venue was your favorite, and what is the best and worst part of media day at the Super Bowl? All
1: right, those are great questions. I, I, I've i done more than 25 of these. I know that dates me, but uh, they're, they're all special in their own way, especially the ones that have been in Tampa. We've had some really good games here, you know, going back to really Super Bowl eighteen and the Raiders and – uh, that wasn't a close game, but it was interesting to see Al Davis and, and the run by Marcus Allen and all of that. Of course, uh, you know, the 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 one between the Patriots and the Bills, and um, I believe that uh, the Whitney Houston, you know, um, mm-hmm. the National Star Anthem. Star-Spangled yeah. Dan and the National Anthem was amazing during that time uh, where the Gulf War was going on. Uh, the most memorable game, I, 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 I'll start with that. I, I think it was... The, it was the comeback by Tom Brady against the Atlanta Falcons. I'm sorry. I mean that that you know it'll always haunt the Falcons. What were they up? Twenty four to, to three. Twenty eight uh, to three. Twenty eight to three. That's right. Twenty eight to three. And from a working standpoint, you know the, the deadlines are really tough, and no one cares. But um, I was really happy that uh, it was going to be a blowout. Uh, it, I, I was ready to write that this is the end of the Patriots dynasty. And remember, Tom Brady threw a pick six, and he sprawled out all over the carpet there, and um, you know, and and watching them run running in for a touchdown to go down twenty eight to three or whatever and um I, I was ready to pronounce that that you know that it was over. It was done that he was old, uh all that stuff. And of course <laughs> we know what happened next. Then it looked like, well, uh it's gonna be a close game, but the but the Falcons are gonna win. And so I had that story up. And then finally it became oh, geez, the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. You know, the goat did it again and and um uh, but but just an amazing an amazing game tragic for one team, um, you know. Of course, you know Brady was at his very best, and some of the plays in that game were just phenomenal. I mean, there were others. Obviously, you know when, when it seems like it always involved the Patriots. When the Seahawks and the Patriots played, and the Seahawks were on the goal line, and you thought they would give it the beast mode, and you had the shocking interception by uh, Malcolm Butler, and, and you know that that was uh, was memorable uh, from a game standpoint um favorite venue this may surprise people I don't really know because I only did one game there it's the Rose Bowl um it was a Super Bowl between Dallas and Buffalo one of the last ones they played and and um I think that was the Don Beebe game or whatever but uh, that that was when Dallas just annihilated uh the bills but what was memorable about it was the Rose Bowl if you've ever been there you should try to go um in Pasadena it, it's just. It's a phenomenal location, right? And uh, you got the mountains, and, uh, you know, it was late in the afternoon there. Uh, much of the game was played, you know, near sunset or whatever because of the West Coast time. But in halftime entertainment, by the way, was Michael Jackson, which was phenomenal. I mean, he was, he did magic, like he appeared at a different part of the building. And then, you know, um, that was back in the day when, um, You know he had been on uh, with the Motown 25th or whatever it was anniversary or 100th anniversary. I don't know what it was, but he was as hot as he could be with a thriller album and off the wall and all that. uh, To see him perform, to see that venue again, the game wasn't memorable. Um, The Cowboys won, I think their second Super Bowl under Jimmy Johnson, but uh, but that was fun. It was a lot of fun. So I've had a bunch of them. They're all good. They're all unique in their own way, Um, but those come to mind just off the top of my head.
2: All right, Les asked, 42 points were scored against that Clemson defense. Does that mean Clemson's overrated, or was LSU just that good? Heck, they dropped 42 on Florida, and they didn't have
1: 17 days to prepare. <laughs> uh, I don't think Clemson was overrated. I mean, I think LSU was that good. I mean, they, they did things just from a team standpoint that, you know, you know, people are arguing, are they the greatest college football team ever? Did they have the greatest season um, as far as the greatest team, I and mean, you might get an argument from the 2001 Miami Hurricanes when you look at the talent uh, that they had. But what didn't they win, right? I mean, they brought home the Heisman Trophy, the Coach of the Year, the Walter Camp, the Maxwell Award, the Davey Bryan Award, the Johnny Unitas uh, SEC Player of the Year. Um, you know, I mean, Bletnikoff Award to the best receiver in Jamar Chase. I mean. The Thorpe Award. They had the best defensive back in Grant Delpit. I mean, there wasn't anything. And then Burrow had the greatest singular season of any quarterback in college football history. through sixty touchdowns, um, including four, you know, touchdowns in the national championship game, um, which is an all-time NCAA record. He ran for another score. So that's just how good that LSU was. They were in, seven in top such ten teams. Seven top ten teams, yeah.
2: Beat all four top four preseason AP teams.
1: Incredible, right? Yeah. Now this this was a special year for uh, for LSU, and I, and look, you know what's, and, and you know how you know this is you talk about Clemson being overrated. Look, if Clemson wins this game, that's three out of four national championships, right? I mean, Dabo Sweeney is the best coach in college football, one of the best in history. That's the best. I mean, think about this class, right? That would have won. So you came in as a freshman, you won, you know, three national championships out of four years, uh, lost the other one. Um, would have been, you know, had a thirty-game winning streak to end your career. I mean, all those things were were on the line for Clemson, and everybody thought that 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 would, you know, ingrain them as the greatest college football team ever. Uh, because of what that class accomplished. So that's who you beat and beat handily. It's not on Clemson, folks. It's on LSU and what they were able to do is just a just a super year by them. All right, some great questions. Hope you enjoyed the answers on our mailbag. You don't have to uh, wait for a mailbag segment. You can send us questions anytime. Reach us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at Tampa Bay dot com tomorrow we'll preview the nfl championship weekend titans at chiefs packers at 49ers and it's on to super bowl 54 in miami the lightning are at minnesota to begin their back-to-back as they then move on to winnipeg after that and um they got what'd you say steve the sixth best record in hockey now
2: they do they're tied with the islanders for fifth best but the islanders have a game in hand so Mm -hmm. Uh, for all those people that wrote them off earlier in the season they are now uh they're fourth in, or what is that? They're actually fifth in the East because the Blues are the only team in the
1: top six from the West. But uh,
2: they're sitting, they're sitting pretty well right now.
1: And when you mean all those people, you're specifically talking to me because uh, I thought they weren't going to get it done. Hey, folks, uh, if you have a chance, go go out to Tampa Bay Downs. I mean, this has been one of the best landmarks uh, in Tampa Bay since 1926, and you know, in addition to thoroughbred horse racing. Uh, which they have every Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There's a lot of other things you can do out there. You can work on your golf game, uh, you know, at their Tampa Bay Downs golf practice facility. Uh, you can play uh, play some poker in the Silks Poker Room. Uh, they've really got something for everybody. And of course, uh, the Thoroughbred racing, which is every as I said, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. The gates open at 11 a.m. Post time is 12:25, and the excitement is always fast and fun. Tampa Bay Downs, you bet. They run. You can call Tampa Bay Downs at 813-855-4401. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.